Welcome to the Jason Tim Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to come hang out for part two of our season preview with Tommy. Tommy, what's up, man? How are you doing? Same old man. I'm uh, I'm back on the Steph bandwagon. I got my The System shirt on. Not a system player. The System. Shout out Warriors World. Shout out Sheed. Uh, the man. We're all back, man. We're back. <laughs> 29 East the last two games. So I'm all in. I'm, I'm back in. MVP Dude. candidate. Let's go. He- he looked good. I it was funny. It's funny because I couldn't actually watch the entire games. I saw a couple minutes of one when I was in a restaurant, and then I would just periodically check on the box scores. And it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride for you because it started awesome in the first game, and then went off the rails a little bit late. And then all of a sudden, the last night it was like the exact it was the exact opposite. It started rough, and then he just had one of his vintage Steph quarters there in the third quarter that looked like the old Steph, which was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the Steph Curry experience. You know, he can be three for thirteen, and then all of a sudden he makes six straight shots in the third quarter, and the game puts on its head. So, yeah, he looks like the same old guy. Uh, I'm still slightly, slightly concerned about his off the dribble shooting, but I'm assuming it's a rhythm thing at this point, and it'll come back. So, it's funny because I remember now. you and I used to have like debates a long time ago about because um, remember the, I remember having this big thing that. 30 it was like 29 of his first 90 playoff games so roughly like 33 percent of his first uh 90 playoff games he shot below 40 percent yeah and and my, one of my biggest things that i talked about was like he's just prone to having cold shooting spells and i believe that's what got him beat in 2016 the, the reality is is that will inevitably that's the beauty of a seven game series is you can afford to have some bad shooting games because it'll the the, the math will just inevitably work out in your favor but i always looked at that as something that was just kind of a characteristic of his game you know what i mean but as long as the good is still there and as long as it happens at least twice for every one time he's bad i'm still a believer in what he can do me too yeah and he's just you know out of the top 20 guys of all time he's probably the most high variance player there is mm-hmm. like, he can get hotter than anybody but we've seen he can also get colder than anybody because he's so reliant on jump shooting um, that's his jump shooting. That's yeah. what jump shooting is. Exactly. Exactly. So it is what it is. Uh, but he looked good the last couple of games. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I'm excited to see how it goes, especially once he gets all of his guys on board there. Um, yep. So we're going to, we're going to be doing the Eastern conference today. We're primarily going to be focusing on Brooklyn, Milwaukee and Philly, but we'll kind of do like what we did on Tuesday. We'll rapid fire through some of the other teams in the Eastern conference. Um, but you know, when we get to talking about Brooklyn, we're going to be harping on defense, which is the most common thing that gets brought up with Brooklyn. But it's one of those classic kind of cliche things that gets said so much that I think it almost loses some of its meaning. And I don't think people realize that, as is the case with most cliches, they're cliche for a reason. The reason why people preach defense wins, wins championships is because it literally does. And so I was doing some digging into the numbers, and it's crazy because the stat that everybody hears is that uh, if you're not a top 10 defense, you can't win a title. And it goes back, uh, like that goes back decades. Basically, the only outliers are Hakeem's Rockets, and I believe 95, if I remember correctly. But Hakeem's one of the greatest defensive players of all time, so that makes sense, right? He could probably turn it on and shut down the rim for an entire series, at least. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then there was the Shaq Kobe Lakers, and then there was the uh, um, the Warriors in 2018. All out like just uh, outlier talent teams, at least Hakeem, not so much, but it was a different era and MJ was out of the league. So there was kind of like an opportunity there that kind of opened up for him. But so what's crazy is I dug, I dug a little bit deeper into the numbers. And what's wild is just going back in this century. So from 2024, there's been uh, 21 champions 
And yes, the all of them made the top 10, except for the, the three that I mentioned, or the two that I mentioned a second ago. But what's even crazier is 14 of the 21 weren't just top 10 defenses. They were top five defenses. They were defenses that uh, th- that weren't just capable of having stretches where they defended well. They were the elite of the elite on the defensive end of the floor. And I looked at what, what I thought was really interesting to your point er- earlier about like having a defensive identity to fall back on, even if it was from previous seasons. The 2018 Warriors were 11th in defense, but the previous season they were second. So you could attribute a lot of their defensive slippage to just normal regular season apathy. Same thing with the 2013 Heat. They were ninth, which is outside of the top five, which, like I said, was somewhat rare as well. But the previous year, they were fourth. So they had a defensive identity that they could fall back on, and I believe they were even higher than fourth in 2011. The uh, 2009 Lakers won as the sixth best defense in the league. They were top five the previous season, even though they lost. So there was a defensive identity they had built up. And then famously, the, the Shaq Kobe Lakers in 2001 were 22nd in defense, which is just absolutely atrocious. But is it that bad? I thought it was like 17th. They were, they were 22nd. If I, I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure that's Ooh, what I had. And, and what's crazy about that, they were number one the previous year. They were the best defense in the entire league in 2001, and then they you know, fell off the rails the next season. Point, point being, though, is that they were able to you know, fall back on a defensive identity that they had at some point in the past that allowed them to kind of regain some momentum on the defensive end in the playoffs. And, you know, it's funny because I remember vividly watching this Laker team because this is like one of the first teams I've rooted for since the Miami Heat that had uh, such a strong defensive identity. And I believe that was why they were winning games. And there were a couple stretches that I wrote down. Game two against Portland after they dropped game one, the Lakers didn't allow over 21 or they didn't allow over 20 points in a quarter until the fourth quarter. So they literally just shut them down in the first three quarters of the game as they as they tied up that series. Um, game two against Houston after they dropped game one and Russ was flexing to the non-crowd and all that stuff. Uh, 17 points in the fourth quarter they allowed. And then famously, at the, uh, there's a bunch of other examples over the course of the next few rounds. But famously, in game six against Miami, they gave up only 58 points through three quarters, which is arguably one of the more dominant defensive performances in NBA playoff history. The point being is that uh, you know, we get fixated on highlights, we get fixated on skill sets, we get fixated on the things that that are more, you know, uh, appealing to the eye when it comes to winning basketball games. But you have to be a very good defense to have any chance of winning a title. And chances are roughly two out of three in this century, you have to be the elite of the elite on the defensive end of the floor. And even if you don't put up the statistics, you have to have some sort of previous iteration of your current roster that can defend with the elite of the elite. And so that's what I'm going to use to bring us to Brooklyn. Because what I would ask you, Tommy, is what in the world can we lean on there? Not just to think that they might be an okay defensive team, but that they could defend well enough to win in a league where all of their contenders that they're going to be going against can absolutely for extended stretches of the game, lock in and give you absolutely nothing easy. Um, Well, I think what you'd have to look at is Kyrie Irving consistently playing like he did in the 2016 finals on the defensive end where he was physical, he used his hands well, he kept his body in front of his man, he was relatively alert and didn't get lost off ball. Uh, You'd have to have KD tap into the guy that he was in 2016-17, and he'd have to do that consistently because he has the potential to be um, 
maybe not an Anthony Davis level rim protector, but somewhere near that when he's really locked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'd have to hope that that DeAndre Jordan is DeAndre Jordan from 2014 again, instead of the guy that just puts his hands in the air as guys drive at him and, and just kind of plays Ole defense. Um, and then there's just not a lot of defensive personnel on that roster. You'd have, have to hope Spencer Dinwiddie um, really takes a step forward in that direction. Same with Karis LeVert. Landry Shamit isn't a bad on-ball defender, but he's small. Mm. You just have you would have to have the best defensive season for a lot of guys on that roster, either in their career or in a long time. So their path is basically bucking trends that have existed and becoming an entirely new team, which, as you're kind of pointing out, isn't common in the NBA. It's it's not common for people just to change who they are overnight, especially when they've been in the league for a long time. So. I've said this before. I think Brooklyn has the highest ceiling in the league possibly uh, because of the offensive talent on that roster. They have the two best ISO scorers in the league potentially in Kyrie and KD. And then they have really nice pieces to go around them on offense, really good shooters in Shamit and Harris, uh, good secondary handlers with uh, Dinwiddie and LeBert who can even be primary handlers. Uh, they have lob threats with Jordan and Allen. Um, but the defense is obviously the concerning part, and that's where the the floor could just fall out, and this team could, if wrong injury happens, they miss the playoffs. So it, like a lot of the East to me, they're a super interesting team that has a wide range of outcomes. And I would assume you you kind of stand somewhere near this because uh, I've heard your skepticism too. Well, it's funny because, like, you know, as I was digging into this, like even the teams that slipped outside of the top five had near misses. Like the 2018 Warriors who slipped to 11th, they damn near lost to Houston. Like yeah. that was a, that was a real possibility. Now, you know, we have, that's a much more complicated topic. What happened in that series. But the point is, is like they didn't dominate their way through and, the, and they had no business even being remotely competitive with those, with that Cavalier team. But the reason why it was close is they were not cohesive defensively. And LeBron literally ripped them to shreds in that finals. The 2016 Cavs slipped the 10th, uh, literally like it, it, they won by the slimmest of possible margins. The uh, 2013 Heat slipped to ninth. They got pushed to seven twice in the last two rounds. So the point being is that like it's just extremely difficult to uh, to to win in long drawn out playoff series without the ability to do that. And 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 you know it's crazy because you know when you look at uh, that that Brooklyn Nets team, the truth is is that they have a foundation uh, war- that that's capable of being built on defensively. As crazy as, pe- as crazy as this sounds, and a lot of people don't know this, but the Brooklyn Nets were a top 10 defense last year. They were right at number 10, but and some of that has to do with Eastern Conference, lack of offensive talent, whatever you want to call it. But the truth is, is that's not nothing. That's, that is an identity within the existing role players on that team that they are committed on the defensive end of the floor. So the question becomes, as you're swapping in minutes with Kyrie Irving and as you're bringing Kevin Durant to the table – is it fair for us as basketball fans to ask them to do the same things that we ask of other top 10 players in the NBA? Because, you know, we constantly are on Steph about how dedicated he is on the defensive end and whether or not he can impact that end of the floor. Like LeBron has been slandered at stretches for, you know, for being lazy during the regular season. And James Harden obviously has a world famous reputation for that. But like all these guys that are considered Kevin Durant's peers 
are all defense level defensive defensive players for whenever their team needs them to be that you know that's what they bring to the table and so my concern would be what what would possess us to think that what's Kevin Durant in his 14th season now something crazy uh, like it's, that? it's not that how oh, it might be because Steph's 12 it's 13 or 14 yeah which doesn't even seem possible but yeah holy cow so wow, so Kevin Durant, and I've had this long-standing theory that he very well should have been the greatest basketball player ever because he was that good on the offensive end of the floor. But the problem was, is despite his ridiculous uh, skill set uh, uh, athletically, like he he is Anthony Davis as a physical specimen. He's not quite as strong, but it was just because he stayed out on the perimeter. The truth is, is he's got the length and the size and the movement and all that stuff to be that type of impact defensive player. He just never cared about it over the course of his career. You and I talked about this a lot in our NBA hierarchy pod, but the truth, the truth of the matter is, is for whatever reason for 13 or 14 seasons now, he's never really put that together for an extended stretch. So what would be, the indicator that now after an Achilles tear, you know, playing on a team that has less defensive talent than he had in his other, in his other uh, settings, because Oklahoma city could lock down and golden state could lock down. They had athletes that had the, the versatility on the wing. They had all of that stuff. And so my concern would just be there. Like, is it possible that those two figure it out and Kyrie resumes what he was in 2016 and Kevin Durant kind of resumes what he was in 2017? Sure. But like, the evidence that would that would lead us to believe that that's a likely outcome just isn't there, in my opinion. So, like, well, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I don't think it's likely, but I think what we could maybe point to is KD being more motivated than he has been almost at any point in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously reads a lot of the press about himself. Um, he lets it bother him at times. But that being said, he hears all the noise. So he heard that his titles were fake or fraudulent thousands, probably millions of times. So if anything, maybe that points to him being the most motivated he's ever been in his career. And he taps into something that really we've seen in the 2016 Western Conference Finals. And then the following year when he joined the Warriors, like I referenced before, the 2016-17 regular season and playoffs, when he was probably an all-defensive level player. Um, Mm -hmm. And what it really is, it's just the, it's the effort stuff. And it's the same thing with KD and Kyrie. And that's what you're pointing to as well. It's, are they going to bring effort consistently? Because the tools are there for both of them to be either, you know, solid to good or great defenders. It's just committing to doing it. So maybe them being together and, and being happy helps motivate them to do that. But I wouldn't say it's a likely outcome, but I think it is possible. I think it's very possible that they do it. And they're um, the best team in the East if they do that, honestly, if if both those guys commit defensively all year, um, they they will be the best team in the East, in my opinion. So the reason why I put Brooklyn first in our list of topics was because I believe they will win the Eastern conference. And what I'm basing it on or when the, when the Eastern conference in the playoffs, they're going to win the Eastern conference in the playoffs. I I believe they're going to make it to the NBA finals. And the re the reason why is just simply that, you know, for as much of a flaw as high end, you know, uh, elite defense and, you know, the defensive versatility and all the, all of those things lead to, uh, you know, contending for a championship. You also need to have elite high end offensive talent, something that you and I have talked about a lot. And the truth of the matter is when I go down the list, you know, especially as I was prepping for this podcast, there's just, there's just nothing else out there among these other teams that brings enough on the offensive end 
for me to, you know, really feel confident that they could overcome what Brooklyn brings on the offensive end. And, you know, they're, to win the Eastern Conference, if you're Brooklyn and you bring what Kevin Durant and Kyrie do on the offensive end of the floor, I don't think you need to be a top 10 defense. Now, you absolutely have to to be whoever comes out of the West, in my opinion. But in the Eastern Conference, because of the – like you're looking at Milwaukee, we know everything we've talked about, with, and we're going to talk about it later with Giannis and his offensive shortcomings. Philly, the clunkiness of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, it's, it's hard to imagine them – necessarily being hard to guard in a playoff series and you know Atlanta and Boston they they're flawed teams and there's just a lot of like potential for those teams to end up in a situation where regardless of who's guarding them they're just gonna they're just not gonna have any sort of offensive creation when it gets to a tight moment late in a key playoff series so I think Brooklyn has enough to get it done in that regard it's just this is all just about like Basically, what the 2018 Cavs, you know, it's, it's, you know, as, as cool as it is to make it to the finals, you know, that team got absolutely destroyed when they made it to the finals. And it was because of the fact that they couldn't guard anybody, you know, and, and obviously, like the Warriors brought a lot of talent in that regard. But the point is, is like, I do think in the circumstances that are at play in the, the, the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn can get away with being a little less effective defensively to get through the East. Now, here's where it gets tricky. So can I push back real quick on that just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, go ahead. Not even push back, but it's funny that Brooklyn is the favorite to win the East in a lot of ways, especially in the playoffs. But I also don't think they would be the best matchup against the Lakers in the finals. I think uh, Philly or even Milwaukee would be a better matchup because they are better defensively. And if they can bog that Lakers team down in the half court, then you have a better te- chance of beating them. But Brooklyn, for the reasons you pointed out, still might be the favorite just because their offensive talent is so much higher than any other team in that conference. But I wouldn't, I would not be high on them having any chance to beat the Lakers. I would probably be higher on Philly or or, or even Milwaukee or even maybe Miami for that matter. But yeah, go ahead. So I, I understand the idea behind that. I guess, I guess for me, like it's what I said about the Lakers going into the finals last year, which was the challenge of guarding these high-end Western Conference offenses like Jokic and Murray, like, you know, James Harden, I, I thought that they presented challenges that, that uh, made it difficult for the Lakers to, you know, stop them. They still were able to for enough stretches to win the series. But my thing is that when you've got a defense as elite as the Lakers are, and again, just the other night against Phoenix, they went through like a, a, it was like a 15 or 17 minute stretch where they gave up like 16 points. Like yeah. the Lakers still have this absolutely suffocating defense when they lock in. And so from that standpoint, I think that that would expose limited offenses, which I, which I believe came out to be true. Like I, they absolutely laid eggs in the finals against Miami when they, when they tricked off a couple of games, but when they really dialed in there in game six, Miami just literally couldn't find an inch of space. Whereas super high end offensive players like Jokic and Murray are able to kind of soften up the Laker defense enough. Like a guy like Steph would be able to soften up the Laker defense enough to find some openings. And for the record, I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie, would have moments against the Laker defense where they're going to light them up. It, but I think they'd I have more than moments. They're so talented, they'd have more than moments, in my opinion. They'd be able to take o- over whole games and whole stretches of the series, but it might not be enough if they can't get stops. Exactly. Over the course of seven games, it yeah. would probably bear out in the Lakers' favor. They, ironically, the best example would be the 2016 Cavs. You're kind of a fringe top 10 defense. You're going against a team that has that has all the boxes checked. But your top two guys just go absolutely supernova for a series and you steal it. That would be what that what their path is. 
But anyway, so let's bring in the the, the prospect of a James Harden trade because this is where it gets interesting because James Harden is a guy that, in my opinion, look at 2018, if you give him a situation where he has an alpha dog personality next to him, i.e. Chris Paul, or in this case, Kevin Durant or, uh, or Joel Embiid, because we're going to be talking about Philly and Brooklyn, if you put an alpha dog personality next to him that won't shrink from the moment the way that James has in his career, and if you put him alongside any, a truly high-end elite defense like the 2018 uh, Rockets were, they can win, as, even as flawed as James Harden is, because he does, even with his offensive flaws, he's, he's still one of the very best offensive players in the league. So, you know, we're going to talk about how I think that the James Harden trade makes a lot of sense for Philly here in a minute. But I think that him going to Brooklyn, which appears to still be on the table, although I'm reporting from last night said that uh, Houston has basically asked Brooklyn to bring a third team into the trade because they don't want Brooklyn's pieces in particular. So it would require siphoning a star from another team and Brooklyn sending pieces over there. It gets complicated. It almost sounds like Philly or nothing at this point. But for sure. Yeah. But point being, like, all of the like any hope of that top 10 defense from last year that Brooklyn can build on that goes out the window. If you bring in James Harden, just in the, the complicated nature of matching salaries and you're, you're probably going to have to give up Jared Allen. You're probably going to have to give up, you know, maybe Joe Harris, like who knows you're going to have to give up a lot of the core pieces that made your defense, at least a, a, a fringe top 10 passable, defense last year. Passable. And I do think there's so much of a. I talked about this with the the Clippers last year when uh, when Lou Williams wasn't or when Paul George was out because he was uh, rehabbing his shoulders. I was everyone was like, oh man, wait till Paul George gets added to this. And I wanted to be like, actually, you know, when you're humming on all cylinders offensively, there's kind of like a like a plateau there. There's, there's diminishing a, returns at some point. There's diminishing exactly. returns, and if you have three guys that need the ball as much as Harden, Kyrie, and KD, one guy is getting left out, and we've seen this play out time and again. The Cavs are a perfect example with with LeBron, Kyrie, and KD. You had two heavy or Kevin ISO Love, guys. yeah, or, yeah. Sorry, Kevin Love. Hmm. You had two heavy ISO guys, and Kevin Love got relegated a lot to being a spot up shooter. They get him looks early in the game. They give him some post touches, keep him happy, and then he would be a spot up shooter for the rest of the night. It is just unless two of your three stars are off-ball supernovas like Steph and Clay are, it is really hard to mix three stars in that are going to score 20-plus points and have it have any type of continuity offensively. It's just going to be really clunky on, on a lot of nights. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and again, uh, I think it's all about shot quality. So, for yeah. instance, like the what worked for the Lakers, even though their role players were flawed, was the fact that their primary two offensive threats generated such high-quality looks that guys like Rondo and Danny Green and KCP and Alex Caruso and Markeith Morris, guys who are all considered like below average closeout threats. KCP was pretty good, but the rest yeah. of them were considered like closeout, you know, like guys you kind of not want to leave open, but you're not like super worried about you're not it. Not worried about it. But they were making shots. And it's because of the fact that like there is, like you said, there's diminishing returns. The gap between, you know, a guy like Alex Caruso and a much better spot up shooter is limited when you factor in that they're always going to be wide open. And, 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 and it just, it just changes, you know, your prospects in that regard. So with James Harden, you got to ask yourself, like, is the, are the Brooklyn Nets as currently constructed going to have any issues scoring the basketball? No, it's not, it's not, not a concern, gonna, even, not even one bit. They're like not going to have any issue. Two great ISO players and two great other secondary creators. Scoring is not going to be an issue. 
Exactly. So the, so the question simply becomes, what, what are you, how, like, what percentage are you increasing your offensive ceiling by adding James Harden in conjunction with how much, if you're, cause you're not only are you losing a bunch of bodies to match salaries, but you're going to have to replace them with veteran minimum players who are still available for some reason. So not the Wesley Matthews veteran minimum guy. You're going to have to find the, like, the, the, the literally the, 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 the junk at the bottom of the barrel. And you're going to have to build your defense. Juan Toscano Anderson, a guy trying to make the Warriors roster right now, is probably going to be on a two-way. He would be a guy that would maybe go to Brooklyn if mm-hmm. that happens just because they need minimum guys, and he's he'd come cheap. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so from that standpoint, like I just – I personally, as a basketball fan, hope they don't make this move because if they do, I think it's going to end up horrible for all three stars involved. They're going to get absolutely slandered all summer long because they're going to end up losing in some stupid fashion because once you start getting into some late round playoff series and you're playing your stars 42 minutes a game, yeah, it, like it makes a lot of sense in the regular season, just in the sense that you can do the perfect stagger of two stars at any given time. So like, you're always having this, like, like there's one guy on the bench while the other two are playing and it kind of works and makes sense like that. But when you get to the playoffs, they're all on the floor all the time because you're just not resting that much. And I don't know. I just, you know, when I, when I look at Philly, as we, as we transition here, when I look at Philly, the, there's this clear need for what James Harden brings to the table. The, yeah. He is, he is the, the perfect puzzle piece for the holes that currently exist in Philly's title, uh, like title contention path this season. And they have the, they, they have the necessary pieces to fill in his weaknesses, which is like we talked about a really, really high end defense. Like they're still going to have Matisse Thibel. They're still going to have Tobias Harris. They're still going to have Joel Embiid. They're still going to have, you know, uh, uh, ben Simmons. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, well they might have to give up. Ben oh, Simmons. Are we assuming they give up Simmons? Yeah, I, I think okay. the cleanest swap is like I think they're going to have to give up Ben Simmons to get him, yeah. and and the but the point is is that like it's it's kind of a partnership that makes sense, yeah. and then now you can stare Brooklyn in the face and be like, I've got James Harden and Joel Embiid in a top five defense, and you've got Kyrie Irving who's you know resting on back to backs and Kevin Durant who's not really focused on the defensive end, and you guys have had a lot of crazy highlights this year, but we're a we are a surefire proven method to win a title on paper. At least we'll see how it actually would, would, would turn out. But that is a, that is a, that is a proven pathway. We've seen that, that exact pathway time and time again, win championships in this league. And it may, it just makes sense. And so, and then if you're Houston, I want Ben Simmons or like, like, like over Brooklyn. So I am, I am excited for Philly to potentially get James Harden because I think it completely changes the prospect of how the Eastern conference is going to shake out over the next uh, uh, six months. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I think Philly has a shot at winning the conference without Harden. I, I think I'm a little bit higher on them than maybe a lot of people are. Cause they, they've kind of replicated at least somewhat similarly, the lineup that they had in 2018 when they had both, when they had Reddick, Butler, Simmons, and Embiid, and whoever the fifth was in that lineup. Covington. Covington. That lineup, I believe, had the best net rating in the league that year of any five-man lineup. They haven't recreated it perfectly, but they, they've created something similar with the lineup of Simmons, Curry, Harris, Embiid, and Danny Green. So that's going to be a super high-level defense. They have one of the best shooters in the league in Seth Curry, who I don't know if he's quite a starter-level player, uh, but if you put him with a bunch of guys like that, he is – a starter level play, player, he'll be just fine. 
And he's actually a pretty good on-ball defender, too. Um, so I think they actually have a chance to win the East even without Harden. But if they get Harden, then I think they become the favorites for sure. Because uh, you have Depoy candidate in Embiid. Danny Green still a solid defender, even though he's fallen off a little bit on that end. Tobias Harris solid. Well, defender. they would need the Lakers needed Dan, Danny Green to guard on the ball, which he was exactly. just terrible at. The between Thibel and and Tobias yeah. Harris and uh, and Ben Simmons, they have so much on the ball talent that Danny Green will be off the ball all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think this Philly team is definitely a team that could win the win these. They have seven really good players. Once you add. Thibault and Howard into that starting five mix that I just named. And mm. then I, I like Shake Milton too. He's a guy that can bring some offensive creation chops. He looked good at times last year. And if he takes another step, he, he provides some of that on-ball creator stuff. Obviously nowhere near the level of a Harden, but some of that stuff that they are missing in the starting lineup. Um, so I, I think they really do have a chance to win the East if it all comes together correctly. And we have seen in the past Doc Rivers with the right team have some offensive creativity. It wasn't mm-hmm. great last year, but I'm who, was that a function of the personnel and the personnel kind of being funky on the offensive end, or was that a function of Doc Rivers? The year before, I thought he was super creative offensively. The year before, they got Kawhi. So I, I think a new voice in the room is really going to help them. Uh, Brett Brown, by all accounts, a great guy, but Philly fans have been complaining about him for years. So a new yep. voice in the room probably helps. Um, Doc can definitely captain a great defense. They have all the personnel there to do that. If they can figure out things on the offensive end, I think they actually will win the East. Even though Brooklyn is the favorites for now, if Philly's offense is top 10 level and Ben Simmons takes another step as kind of a cre- on-ball creator, if Shake Milton takes another step, if Embiid, Embiid, who was a top seven, top six player consensusly a year and a half, two years ago, and has fallen off just because that situation became messy. Mm-hmm. But if he takes another step just as kind of an ISO score and a post-up threat and stops floating on the perimeter so much, I think they will win the East. And then I think they can give the Lakers some problems. I would still pick the Lakers in a potential matchup with Philly and L.A. But I, I think they have the size uh, to bother L.A., which most teams do not. They have mm-hmm. bodies to throw at LeBron, and they have bodies to throw at AD, multiple of each. So I, I think if the ball bounced right for them, they could absolutely be a title team. We just haven't seen it yet. Uh, they, they have had, They've taken some playoff lumps, um, which is kind of one of the – the traditions for any team who does end up winning a title, you don't just go from zero to hero. Like they, they had a tough series with Boston a couple of years ago. Uh, last year they had some injuries, so they, they lost in the first round. But I, like I said, I am higher on Philly than most. I think they can, they're going to be a really good team. I, I, they're a top three seed in the East as long as they don't have any injury concerns. And I think they can definitely beat Brooklyn. They can definitely beat Milwaukee and they can give the Lakers a series or whoever comes out of the West uh, hmm. in the finals. So I think they're, they're going to be a really, really good team. Well, I, you're right. I probably should have. I should pay them their proper respects as currently yeah. constructed as a yeah. Harden changes the whole equation, but yeah, exactly. And and just bringing into you know, Danny Green had a, a rough shooting season last year, but it wasn't as bad as people like Lakers Twitter. Lakers Twitter can be very uh, hard on people, and and I was hard on Danny Green too, but primarily for what he did on the defensive end. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, bringing in Curry and Green just opened things up. Ditching Horford out of their rotations are going to open things up for Embiid. That was huge. I, I, I agree with you that they have a legitimate chance to win the East. I, I would pick Brooklyn now, but I agree with you that they have a chance. Where I, where I fall, where I give, where I would push back on the idea of keeping Ben Simmons and not going after someone like Harden is my classic ideology as it pertains to gambling. You know, like, if I was betting on, you know, the Dallas Cowboys this weekend 
and I put two bucks on the game, I'm just, I'm not going to get rich. I don't know what to tell you. Like that you're, you're only going to get rich if you push your chips into the middle. And all I know is as good as Ben Simmons is, and as, as good and as bright as his feature, as bright as his future looks, the reality is, is as currently constructed, I don't think they can beat the Lakers. I'm not even sure they could beat the Clippers. So as far as I'm concerned, and it's, it's kind of a toss up with Brooklyn. So, but as far as I'm concerned, Bringing in James Harden, who you and I disagree because you think he's outside the top 10, but I think he's around the eighth best player in the league. Bringing in a bona fide top, a top 10 player with Joel Embiid, who I think I had at 13 in my, on my list. And then with all of the surrounding pieces, because it's a, it's a straight up swap, like even if you have to give up draft, draft picks, which we'll talk about in a second. I'm a big believer of the fact that, that, as crazy as it sounds, and even though it seems like you're giving up some of your long-term prospects and, and you know Ben Simmons' future, future and stuff like that, I think it's an opportunity to steal a ring. And, 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 and I think that as good as their prospects are this season with, the, with Ben Simmons as currently constructed, I think they're discernibly better with James Harden in that role, filling in that elite offensive creation that they need and allowing them to have a clear cut pathway to potentially be the best team in the league. And, and, and here's the other thing too, like I, over a couple weeks ago, I watched that all-star game again. Um, the one, the, the one where they, uh, uh, played, uh, with the, the Elam ending. Oh yeah. And, and Joel Embiid with the game on the line is posting up LeBron and it, it's not game point yet, but it's almost game point. And he just hits LeBron with this vicious dream shake and drains like a 10 footer over the top. And I don't know if you remember that game, but that game was like super high pressure. Oh, like it, was it was super intense. It was the every, most intense form of basketball. There is no more intense. Oh, form. It was insane. Every yeah. single player was sweaty palms, like losing their mind. Like, yep. like, like Giannis had the greatest block I've ever seen in my life when he pinned yeah. LeBron's layup on the glass. Like yeah. it was insane. And, and the reality is, is Joel Embiid, has not had a chance to go toe-to-toe with the game's greats at the highest level because of the fact that Ben Simmons has had some flaws and he's had some bad injury luck over the years. He's not, you know, I mean, and he's he's not 100% blameless, but my point is, is like, James Harden can get you to that spot. James Harden can get Joel Embiid to a tie game in the fourth quarter of the Eastern Conference Finals against Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid can, and can just rely on his ridiculously uh, like he, his alpha mentality is up there with the best players in the league Absolutely. and James Harden could help unlock that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's such a no brainer. And, and, and honestly, I hope they do it sooner than later, but I, I, I mean, I, I, to, to kind of put a bow on this, they should absolutely do it. If it's, if it's on the table and it's basically just a Harden Simmons swap, you got to do it. Uh, like, cause as much flack as I give Harden, I do always preface that by saying, he is one of the most talented offensive players in the league. It's all the other stuff. And if you can trust Doc enough, um, if you can trust, like you're saying, Embiid enough, and then some of the veteran leadership on that team, uh, Mike Scott, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, all really good guys with really strong leadership qualities to bring out the best in Harden and get rid of some of that stuff that, that makes him kind of a franchise tanker at times. And yeah, they definitely go to, they would instantly probably be number one or number two in terms of um, title favorites. Mm-hmm. And they brought in the right guy in the front office to push in all the chips. Well, I, I've definitely been critical of Maury in some respects, and that's more related to how he views offensive basketball and kind of the math mm-hmm. equation of the whole thing and how that plays out in the playoffs. The guy absolutely pushes all of his chips in. 
And he's an incredible GM when it comes to just acquiring talent, um, you know, working salaries to make sure every, everything goes right. And I mean, we saw that this offseason. He changed that entire roster in like three weeks. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he has a chance. If he pulls off the Harden deal, too, he'll be executive of the year for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the Harden deal is a no-brainer if it's on the table. And they should absolutely do it today if they can get James Harden because they they become at worst the second favorite to win the title. So let's uh, um, really quickly, I think, because this is something that I think is one of my ideologies too that it gets lost from time to time. The the and Daryl Morey happens to be from the ideology of not overvaluing first round picks, especially not late round first round picks because. Yeah. Just like what happened with the Lakers this year. Yeah, they had like, I think they had like the 28th pick or something like that. But I mean, in terms of what its league value was worth, it was considered worth Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder. That's what it was considered to be worth. And it, and whoever that draft pick could be used on is not going to be used on anybody of enough quality to really help you in your rotation anyway. And Philly's really, really deep. So this is where I this is where I would say pull the trigger. What is continuity worth? Because if I could get James Harden in here tomorrow, I basically have a full season to build this with him. And of course, if they hold out to the trade deadline, they can probably get it to be a clean swap with Ben Simmons for James Harden, just as all the other trade offers kind of disappear into the ether. But the reality is, is like if they want two first round picks, give them two first round picks, give them your next two first round picks. They're not worth anything to you. They're worth very little to you, I guess. And the, and the reality is, is that continuity is going to be what gives you that chance, especially since James Harden coming in gives you a small window to contend. I know he's got a couple years left on his contract, but he's getting a little bit older too. So mm-hmm. the reality is, is you've got this two or three year window here where you can go after it, get some continuity. This yeah. year's a funky, weird season anyway. The team that is considered the best in the league has a 36 year old, uh, 36 year old superstar who two years ago got hurt and missed the playoffs. So the point is, it's like, like I, I am of the persuasion that they need to do this now. Yeah. And that bartering over this this stupid stuff, not only will it hurt them in continuity, but who knows what team could come flying in out of nowhere and make a James Harden trade. I mean, yeah. like like it could have been it could be Minnesota could just lose their mind tomorrow and give Anthony Edwards and 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 D'Angelo Russell and go, we're gonna do, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and, and James Harden for a few years. Like you don't yeah. know what could happen. I think they need to go after it. Yeah, no, they should, but the only thing I'd say is Maury doesn't like the optics of ever losing a trade, and he just gave up some picks to get off the Horford money. And also, he doesn't value things like continuity or chemistry. He said it like on record before that he really just doesn't value that stuff. So I don't think that will factor into his – Too much of a mathematician. (laughs) No, he he totally is. That's his issue. That's his issue. He said, you know, just get as many stars as you can and then figure it out. And without really looking at, okay, how do the team dynamics play in this? And maybe he's learned a little bit. I think he has probably through losing to the Warriors – over and over and over again he's he's probably learned his lesson a little bit but if, if that's like the deciding factor whether the continuity is going to matter or not i think he's going to hold out and wait till the deadline but they should do it now like no question i agree i i, I, I would get him in there and and just start because there's going to be also this extended process where he's got to get in shape and stuff like might as well have him learn in the playbook were those pictures and- real were those oh, pictures of course not they're of course they've been edited i, I well, the one i'm the sure one he's good on a few the, bu- the one from the bubble was fake, but I think the one from the other night was supposed to be real. He, he looks huge. Even in like game, the game action, he looks really big, even for James Harden. I, I definitely have an unending amount of skepticism for 
pictures of people's physical fitness after what I saw was Zion last year before the bubble. And then he was fat and slow. Yep. But, but that said, like, you know, the, the, the thing with James and he actually came out and said in his interview um, yesterday after the game, or it might've been yesterday or the day before, but yeah. he basically said like, I haven't played five on five in forever. All I've done is individual workouts and NBA players will tell you that, you know, the only real conditioning is five on five, which I think is NBA players speak for, I put on a few. But yeah. like, I, I, but I, of course that's what happened. But my, th- I, I, he's famously durable. He's going to get back in shape yeah. a lot. Of, and you know, the guy never gets injured. He never, <laughs> ever gets injured. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And like, and don't get me wrong. Like he's been a, a, a literally a whiny little bitch for lack of a better term this last season. But the truth of the matter is, is he's going to get into Philly. He'll be reinvigorated. The Philly fans won't let him get away with his bullshit, by the way. That's no, they the won't. I, I, don't, I don't think Doc will either. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> The the situation in L.A. was just weird last year for whatever reason, just because the the roster dynamic and some of the stuff, the PG and Doc's past, whatever. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he would take crap from Harden either, really. So, mm. yeah, no, I think they would definitely whip him into shape more than almost any franchise could outside of, like, Miami. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, so we have uh, four rapid-fire teams to go through before we get out. Oh, wait, we got to do Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Got to do Milwaukee. Milwaukee. So yeah. what are your thoughts on the Giannis? The, forgot, the forgotten number one seed. Um, yes. Well, just I think the Giannis extension is good for basketball in a couple ways. Not to get too crazy about like player empowerment, player movement, all that stuff. But I think it it helps the casual fan feel like every superstar isn't just going to go to the next super team and team up with three superstars. And even though we see the ratings increase when that stuff happens, people complain more. So there's less of like bad energy around the league, which I think does matter, even though all that stuff is kind of fake in a way but it, it does matter that there's less bad energy around the league but i think the more important point is it it makes small markets feel like they actually have a chance again mm. the last couple superstars who have like really been extension eligible and like lebron and kd basically the the guys who were two of the three best players of the last 15 years or 10 years let's say they both left smaller markets to pursue bigger market super teams uh, LeBron did it a couple times. KD's done it, I guess, twice now, um, even though the Warriors are a big market, but Brooklyn's even a bigger market. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, it's going to help during the next CBA um, from the perspective of the small market owners aren't just going to you know, demand all kinds of crazy stuff um, as protections against superstars leaving. And I, I think what this really does, though, is it puts the onus on Giannis to, to bring a championship to Milwaukee. He could demand a trade in 24 months, I think. You have to be at least one year into the extension before you can actually get traded if you sign the Supermax. Mm. Um, but I think he's taken responsibility for saying, look, I'm going to bring a championship to this city, which is a huge burden. We all know that's a huge burden. Uh, but he can definitely be better. Right? To, to, to kind of go into the, the Buck situation here, he can become a better player. Like there are, there are massive holes in this game, and I know you agree with me on this. There are massive holes in his game that keep showing up during the playoffs. And he's still unbelievable. Nobody's saying he's not a great player. Um, but the lack of a jump shot, the lack of super high level decision making, which is harder to develop than I think the jump shot, um, that that's stuff that he has to improve on. And if he does, then I think they have a chance to win a championship. But he has to go to an entirely another level against the best teams in the league, not against the Charlotte Hornets on a Tuesday at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are my basic thoughts on the honest mm-hmm. extension. So. For, to be clear up front, I hope Giannis stays for the entire contract. I truly yeah, do. You too, I, you too. For, for all the same reasons you just mentioned. However, 
I am fearful that this is the new NBA free agency for a superstar. And what I mean by that is if you look back in NBA history, recent NBA history, there are a lot of examples of, of uh, a team being informed that a player was leaving. And so they conduct a sign and trade. So essentially, you know, uh, the, for great, uh, you know, when Kevin Durant went or when uh, Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn, they shipped back D'Angelo Russell. Yep. When uh, when Chris Paul decided to go back to go to Houston, they shipped back, you know, Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams and, and Patrick Beverly. When LeBron went from Cleveland to Miami, uh, Miami sent back some draft picks. And, and they got a they, trade exception, right? Didn't, didn't yeah. they get a huge trade exception? Yeah. The point is, is like once they decided they were going to lose him for nothing, uh, once they understood they were going to lose those players for nothing, they were willing to accept whatever came. And so what I'm fearful of is that similar to what happened with Paul George, um, because uh, there's been some reporting yeah. done that there was an under-the-table agreement with him and uh, Sam Presti about him potentially wanting to leave, which makes sense when you think about it, because it it, did, it was confusing that he signed that three-year extension when he did. Yeah. Uh, after that, like, that night free agency started, like, immediately. Right away. Yep. When, when, when they lost in the first round in horrific fashion, when his co-star basically shot them out of the series... Yep. Like it was really confusing when that happened. And so my concern would be that, that uh, Giannis went up to them and was like, here's the deal. You have two options. I could go into free agency this year and uh, decide where I want to go, or you can lock me up for five years and you'll have me under contract, but you have to understand under the table, this is a, an agreement between my agent and you privately that if I wish to be traded somewhere, you trade me where I want to go. And you can pick whatever assets from that team, you know, within reason to get back so that you don't lose me for nothing. Yep. I mean, and, and let's not forget the same thing happened with Anthony Davis. Same exactly. exact thing. And, and I don't know if there was any under the table agreement there, but he signed his extension, essentially got his money and thought, you know, 12, 24 months down the road, I can do whatever I want. I can mm-hmm. demand a trade and they literally have to listen to me because I just won't play. Mm-hmm. So I I see where you're going and it, it definitely could be an issue for the league, but continue. Well, and it, because the thing is, is like, so now say you're Milwaukee. So you're Milwaukee and Giannis has just come to you and said, I'm thinking about leaving, you know, or, or I'm not sure. And I don't know. And there's a chance you lose me for nothing. So now I get to choose between the risk of losing him for nothing or signing him to this deal and potentially losing him at some point in the future. Which the, which the reality is, if he's going to stay, like if over the course of this season that Giannis wins a title and he decides he's going to stay, then he would have signed a five-year max in the summer anyway. Yep. So regardless of what happens this year, Milwaukee's in the same position this summer no matter what. The extension doesn't really necessarily change that. The pressure is still on. The pressure is still yeah. on no matter what. The only way the the uh, the extension really gives Milwaukee power is if it is really the traditional extension where Giannis has told the front office he wants to stay here forever, which very well may have been the case. And like I said, I hope that's what he said. Yep. But what I'm saying is kind of like what happened with Paul George and who knows with this Paul George situation with the Clippers, if it's not a similar type of format. But I'm worried that this might be a new trend of essentially strong arming franchises into saying you can either lose me for nothing potentially, or you can let me get traded to where I want to go. And you get to then take your pick of whatever you want from that team. They'll be thrilled because they're getting Giannis. You'll be thrilled because you're not losing me for nothing. If you don't sign me to this extension, I might just leave for nothing. So this kind of just, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a delay. 
It's it's yeah. It's it's like you're kind of in pseudo free agency every year. Even you're giving the franchise a grace period. You're giving the franchise a grace period, basically. And and then and then you basically threaten them with all hell from your agent if they did violate their end of the verbal agreement. That's basically the way it would work. Yeah, exactly. No, I I think you're spot on. But um, how do we feel about the Bucks this year? Do we think they have any shot to win the title? So real quick, they added Drew Holiday, but they lost George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, and Wes Matthews. So they lost three of their best perimeter defensive players on the team, at least uh, perimeter defensive players at the guard. Yep. Here's the here's the the biggest thing that scares me. Uh, uh, Drew Holiday is is incredible. He's a really really good player, especially on the defensive end, and he has a resume of ge- of raising hell with of with the best guards in the league with uh, on the defensive end, without a doubt. Here's the problem with Drew. He can't guard wings really well. And well-defined wings because he struggles against LeBron, but LeBron just overpowers him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so Drew Holiday in the inevitable uh, trip to the finals, uh, Drew Holiday is going to have to guard potentially, you know, uh, what, they're, what they might ask him to guard is a, uh, is a LeBron or a Kevin Durant. And that, that role used to fall to Wesley Matthews on that team. And Wesley Matthews is one of the better, big, strong wing defenders in the league. And so that was my concern was just that, like, you know, Drew Holiday failed to fix their biggest problem, which was high-end elite offensive creation. And he may or may not have been a defensive wash, if not a, a, a loss, because while he's a little bit better against guards, he's not as good against wings as Wesley Matthews was. And Like, Wesley Matthews was their go-to guy against the best wings in the league so that they could have Giannis be a help defender. That was what they were doing with Jimmy Butler. They were having, you know, uh, 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 Giannis play the help defender. And, and the point is, is unless Giannis wants to take that role, which maybe he does, unless Giannis wants to take that on-ball role, like I, I just don't see the trade-off. It kind of re- reminds me of the idea of Brooklyn executing a James Harden trade. It's like, okay, cool, but you're not fixing your problems. Yeah, and, and that's where I get concerned. I'd say they they addressed issues, right? Like they addressed some of the offensive creation stuff that they've been lacking, especially if we're going to compare it to Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, who are fine players, good players in the NBA. But Drew Holiday is much better. And, yeah, they they addressed issues, but it might not be the right ones, as you're alluding to. Their wing defense is not any better. It really isn't. So The NBA is so matchup based in the playoffs. And if you don't have the right guys to guard the best players in the league, you're probably going to lose the series that you're playing it. Right? If you don't have the right guy to guard Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Steph Curry, any of these guys, you're, you're going to be in hell. And so just looking at the roster, I don't even know who they would put on LeBron at this point. Are you putting Middleton on him? Are you putting Giannis on him? And maybe, maybe the goal is, having three really good offensive creators with Giannis, Middleton, and Drew, you can allow Giannis to take on some more defensive responsibility. You can even allow Middleton to take on some more defensive responsibility because their offensive load isn't so heavy. So maybe that's the thought process with Drew is, okay, let's get another guy who's a really good creator in here who can get his own shot, who can create for others. Uh, You know, He's been upwards of six assists multiple times in his career, even though he does dribble too much sometimes. I would assume that was their thought process. Mm-hmm. But all in all, I, I don't think they addressed the right issues, and I still have them as a – they might be a great regular season team again, and they probably will be just because of the way they play and the fact they play in the Eastern Conference. But I still see them as a fake title contender. 
Um, I think they're definitively third behind Brooklyn and and Philly. Absolutely. And especially if the Harden trade happens, I don't even think it's a question that Mm. they're third in the conference. But even as currently constructed, I would still have them, if we're just talking about chances to make the finals, I would have them third and maybe even fourth or fifth. Mm. I would maybe even like, uh, I'd maybe behind Boston. Yeah, Boston or even Miami. I'm I'm a Heat, you know, zealot to a certain extent. So (laughs) I I always believe in the culture there. I believe in the guys they have there, Um, and I think some of the young guys will take another step. But I could see them easily being kind of fifth in that picking order in terms of teams that can make the finals. They just, like I said, they addressed issues, but not the correct ones. So we'll we'll see what happens. But I'm I am maybe just on the same level in terms of optimism for their year as I was last year. But I picked the Heat to beat the Bucs in the playoffs last year. So I feel the same way. I still think the Heat, well, my, the Bucs would probably address some of the issues that plagued them in that series. I still think the Heat would beat them in a seven-game series. I really do. Well, Drew is a clear, you know, uh, is a clear improvement as a pick-and-roll ball handler, as a primary decision-maker over George Hill, like, and, and, and taking the ball out of Giannis's hands a little bit, without a doubt. Yep. But the point is, is like, like Drew Holiday is considered, you know, somewhere around the 25th best player in the league because of what he brings on the defensive end. Offensively, he's pretty sporadic. Like he's solid. Yeah, he's really up and down. Yeah, he's he's like Drew Holiday is a lot closer to his brothers in terms of offensive creation than he is to the like to the high end guards in the league. And I'm, I'm not saying he's better than his brothers, but my point is, is he's closer to that than he is to the high end guards. Game or staff or any of these exactly. other guys who are the best guards in the league, definitely. So. Yeah, so if your idea was to improve that offensive creation element, the truth of the matter is, is you're going to find yourself in these matchups where Drew's going to not be the best guard on the floor. <laughs> and so, yeah. and, and, and so I, I don't understand how, how it necessarily raises their ceiling enough to be, to, especially when you factor in like what they paid for him. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Three first round picks, three yeah. first round picks. The, and Giannis, the, it, Giannis signed the extension. So it achieved a goal, but you're still giving up so much capital for Drew Holiday. Like you said, fine player, but nothing special. And you took yourself out of the Harden race, and he actually came out. Well, he didn't come out and say, but he leaked to uh, to either Shams or Woj that he potentially wanted to go to Milwaukee. And yep. and I tweeted on the night of the Drew Holiday trade. I said, well, why would you take yourself out of Beal? Like, why would you yeah. take yourself out of whoever else might come I don't know why they didn't go after Beal. I don't know. I, I don't understand why more teams haven't pursued Beal. I think people are – just because he's stuck in Washington and he was really, really, really bad defensively last year, he would have helped two or three title contenders immediately and bolted them to one of the favorites. The dude, he's one of the most dynamic offensive players in the league. He is incredible on that end of the floor. So if you put good defensive personnel around him, he'll be passable on that end. And then he gives you one of the more high-level shot creators in the league. The mm-hmm. whole thing that can throw a wrench in this for Milwaukee in a good way is if Giannis becomes one of the best post players in the league. Mm-hmm. Which which is his path to a title. I, I still don't know why they have him hanging out around the three-point arc so much. Yes, you want him in transition, bringing the ball up. I get that. Totally. He's, he's one of the most lethal transition forces in the league. In the half court, they need to do more stuff off the elbow for him. They need to more, do more stuff kind of mid-post, low block, because that's where he's really good. They started going to that in the Miami series right before he hurt his ankle, and he was absolutely destroying Miami in that first half. I want to say he had 24 points on like 10 of 12 shooting. They couldn't stop him. So th- that is the way that they would have a chance to actually win the title is he becomes just this absolutely dominant post player because he has obviously the strength and the athleticism to do it. It's okay. Can he add really simple, a hook with each hand 
you know, six feet from the rim. And Kenny had a little fadeaway. That's not, it doesn't have to be 50%, but Kenny shoot it at 40%. You know, Kenny, Kenny shoot it at 42% to where it's like, all right, we don't want to give it up to him because he can make it. The problem is, is he released a video of him shooting step back jumpers. And then he, in his preseason interview, came out in his pre, preseason interview, he basically came out and said, this year, I'm going to have the ball more out on the perimeter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically what he said. It's the craziest thing. It's I agree with you. I, man. I don't understand it. I, yeah. I, for the life of me, I don't understand the development track that they're taking. Mm-hmm. But to, to your point, though, and I, I was going to add the same thing, and you, you beat me to it, and I think you're absolutely right. The, the big wild card for Milwaukee is Giannis. He, if he goes from being the sixth best player in the league to being the second or third best player in the league, all of a sudden they become a way more interesting team. Yep. Um, all right, so for time purposes, let's let's hit our rapid fire here. So we're going to do, do – since you just brought up Beal, let's do Washington first. What are your thoughts on Washington? Um, I think they'll be a playoff team for sure. Uh, as much crap as I give Russ for being this highly, highly flawed player, he definitely raises – when he has the ball a lot, he raises your ceiling as um, – or raises your floor, I should say, as a regular season team. Uh, so he's going he's gonna to play hard every night. I think he'll, ins- he'll re-motivate Beal in some ways to maybe play a little bit harder on the defensive end. They have two high-level shot creators now. They have a bunch of shooters there. It, if I'm recalling it correctly, I think they were the best offense in the league last year, but they were also the worst defense. Mm-hmm. They, they have a ton of offensive talent, and they should get the defense to maybe passable levels. Like instead of 30th in the league, they're 20th. And in the East, if you're a top-five offense in the 20th defense, you should definitely make the playoffs. So mm-hmm. I think they're a playoff team, but they're low-level playoff teams, somewhere 6 through 8. And yeah, I, I think they'll be a fun team on a lot of nights because Russ is still Russ, and he can still do Russ stuff. And Beal, like I said, he is one of the best shot creators in the league. That dude is incredible as a perimeter shot creator. So mm-hmm. they'll, be a, they'll be a fun watch, but they're you know a first-round exit, no likelihood. Yeah, so I, uh, I think one of the biggest reasons why they were so good offensively last year is that they were so bad as a team that they got the worst defensive effort from everybody every night. I think they still will be one of the best offenses in the league this year, but as a team that gets everybody's better shot because Russ and, and Bradley will beat you if you don't bring your better shot. Um, uh, that I, I would put them as about the second best offense in the Eastern Conference behind Brooklyn in terms of, you know, a, a team that would as a team that's going to get a better focus defensive effort from the people they play every night. Again, they don't defend anywhere near well enough to, uh, to have any hope of really competing or contending. But I, I think they're going to be a very interesting team in the East all year long, somewhere middle of the pack, bottom of the East. And they're going to be a huge pain in the ass to beat in a playoff series because in any given series, they might have the two best players on the floor, depending on if Russ brings, you know, any sort of uh, like Russ is just the thing with Russ is it's like he's so used to playing one way that when Houston leaned on him playing that way in the middle of the last season, they won a bunch of games and he put up crazy numbers. But as soon as things kind of shift and whether it's based on him getting injured or whether it's based on, you know, just James Harden doing James Harden stuff, as soon as things shift into him being in a beta role, he, his impact falls off of a cliff. Like in an alpha role, he's like a fringe top 15 player, but in a beta role, he's like barely a top 30 player. But I mean, that's the issue. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you have to be the alpha and you're only top 10, top 15, when you do that, you're basically a first round exit. Right? Mm. That's basically your ceiling or maybe a second round if you get lucky. I don't see them pushing anyone because of Russ's flaws that always become more evident in a playoff mm-hmm. series, especially if he's having to share touches with Beal. And it's like kind of a pseudo 1A, 1B type thing where Russ isn't the main guy. We we saw it with Paul George. Mm-hmm. I think Beal is probably a better offensive player than Paul George. He's more dynamic in my opinion. But they lost in the first round mm-hmm. both years in a row. 
when they were together. So I think it's going to be actually a somewhat similar situation to OKC. They won't be as good defensively, uh, but th- offensively, it'll probably be somewhat similar. And they, they won't, in my opinion, I don't think they even have a chance. In right matchup, maybe they can get somebody in the first round, but I don't see it. No, I agree with you. The reality is, is the Eastern Conference is different than it used to be. I railed on the Eastern Conference all year last year for being weak at the bottom, and they were. They were historically yeah. weak at the bottom. But at the top, they were as strong as they had been in decades. Yeah. And the, the reality is, is Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, and Boston is a hellish first first round uh, series to go on the road for. And yep. swap one of those teams out for the Miami Heat, the team that made the finals last year, if you want to. But again, like I, I'm with you. I, I just think they're going to be interesting, and I like interesting, and it, and it adds to the overall talent level that exists in the Eastern Conference. Um, all right, let's do Atlanta. Um, but they added Rondo, Danilo Gallinari, and uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I think there's a clear mandate for them to make the playoffs mm-hmm. right? from ownership. It seems like, you know, this is kind of a make or break year for that front office maybe. And mm-hmm. I, I think maybe they have the pieces to do it. I like a lot of their young guys. I'm a big fan of Herter. I'm a big fan of, fan of Cam Reddish. I really like the Okongwu pick. I think he's going to be a really dynamic defensive player right away in the NBA. John Collins is an awesome offensive four slash five man. He can pick and pop. He can shoot threes. Uh, he's an incredible role man with really good gravity. And then of course, Trey Young. I mean, Trey is, I'm super, super critical of Trey because of play style and shot selection and literally not even trying on defense. But he's also like maybe a top three, top five most dynamic creator in the entire league. He Mm -hmm. has preternatural passing vision and feel. He's an incredible shot creator for himself. He can get threes off from 35 feet. He has a really good floater game for a guy his size. He draws fouls really well. He can get to the rim. He's a super duper dynamic offensive player. The key to them making the playoffs, I think, is maybe lessening his role a little bit on offense and giving some of these other guys, Bogdanovich, um, Gallinari, some more offensive touches to take the burden off Trey and getting him to not the worst defensive player in the league. I don't even think he'll ever be a passable defensive player just because of his size. He is a tiny, tiny dude um, with not great defensive instincts. But you got to get him to just at least be like a regular negative instead of maybe the worst defender in NBA history, at least mm-hmm. in modern NBA history. Um, so I think they can make the playoffs. A lot of that, I think, is going to come down to what type of player Trey is. Because I think most of their role players, you basically know what you're going to get, especially mm-hmm. the vets that they brought in. They, they brought in some solid vets. Um, and they also brought in Chris Dunn, who was actually a really nice guy to pair with Trey in some minus because of how versatile he is defensively. So I, I think they'll probably be bottom-rung playoff team, um, you know, if Trey can bring the requisite level of effort on the defensive end. Because if he can't, they're going to be so bad defensively yet again. He's just... He's a turnstile on that. End. Mm-hmm. But he's he's also one of the most talented offensive players in the league. So I think he can lead a top five offense if everything breaks right. Yeah, I agree. And they, and they do have some defensive pieces around him. At least, they, yeah. ironically, they're younger players, not their vets. Yeah, yeah. Reddish, Okongwu, yep, those guys. But so what's interesting to me about Atlanta is they're like the anti-Philly in this regard where, you know, as we talked about in, in the Tuesday pod, like – you kind of have to have really good luck uh, to end up as a, a team, not a small Atlanta's not a small market. It's a huge city, but it's a small NBA market because they don't have a huge, you know, expansive fan base. But yeah. the truth of the matter is, is like to win as a, to have to really truly contend for a title in a smaller market, you need to hit on multiple draft picks. And so uh, a lot of teams just don't have the patience to do that the way that Philly did to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid or, you know, the way that, uh, you know, Golden State just hit the absolute lottery on three consecutive massive Whoa. draft picks. That, that yeah, Steph at seven, Clay at 11, and then Draymond at 35. It's impossible to replicate that. Exactly. Two of them, like, Clay's almost not even a lottery pick and Draymond's a second round pick. That doesn't happen. 
Exactly. And so what's interesting to me about this is this is Atlanta basically saying like, we don't have the patience to sit here and try to win the lottery a couple of times to contend. We got one star that we really like, uh, who's great for our fan base. So we're going to le- we're going to go pay a bunch of veterans, uh, more than they probably deserve. And we're okay being a fringe playoff team and, and just, you know, trying to contend that way. Uh, not yep. entirely unlike the Joe Johnson experience, but, yep. but, but it's just funny to me because like it, like it, it's it's kind of like they have these the teams that are in this situation usually have lots of cap space every season, but instead of doing what Philly did, like just throwing you know twenty million at JJ Redick for a season to just fill cap space to keep, to maintain your flexibility, they're just like screw it, we're going to sign all these guys and we'll go all in, and it kind of sucks because unless you know like literally unless John Collins or uh, like John Collins just blows up into a top fifteen NBA player, they're just never gonna to, to, to raise their 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 ability to raise their ceiling at this point is now significantly limited because now they're gonna be picking in the fifteens every year, even lowering yep. their chances even further to potentially hit on another draft pick. Sorry, Kevin Herter's not Clay Thompson. And you know, and, and it, it's it's just it's kind of like they're an example of just like of of NBA small market purgatory for yeah. a better term. And I think they are a sleeping giant in a lot of ways. I think they have the chance to be a big market if they were to actually have some real, real playoff success. But I, I think the Joe Johnson Hawks are actually a great comparison point because it seems like they're just content saying, you know what, we're going to be a bottom to mid-run playoff team. Um, they, they signed Bogdanovich to what, like four years, 72. Uh, Gallinari's contract is at least a couple years so yeah, they're just they're going to be stuck in NBA purgatory. Which hey, if you're just trying to to make a little bit of money every year as ownership, that's your goal. If you mm-hmm. don't actually care about winning titles, then yeah. So, but it could all blow up in their face because I don't think I don't know. Trey Young seems like a guy to me who really cares about the optics of his career, and I don't know if he'll ever want to be on a championship contender. But I could see that you know just from an optics standpoint, he wants that because he wants to be considered in the upper echelon of the league and. Atlanta isn't going to provide that to him. It doesn't seem like, especially mm-hmm. with the move they made this offseason. Unless, you know, Herter isn't Clay, but maybe Reddish really pops. I, I'm if everything goes right for him, he could be a damn good player on both ends of the ball. He's already a good defensive player, uh, and if he keeps progressing like he did in his rookie year on the offensive end, he could be a really, really good player on that. And a dynamic off the dribble shooter with some creation shops, a guy with a mid range game to shoot from three, can get to the rim just enough to keep you honest. Um, so it could work out for them. I mean, they're, I think they're betting big on the young guys that they have right now, but we'll see how that works. It's a big bet because besides Trey, none of these guys have a clear path to top 10, top 15. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And Reddish, uh, real quickly, Reddish, you know, my, my worry with him is his confidence. When I watch him play, he strikes me as a player that has like like the mentality of a 10th man off the bench with the talent of Paul George. There's, like, there, I, I was going to say there are big Paul George vibes there, mm-hmm. like – if it breaks the right way, Paul George is kind of the same guy. Yeah, Paul George hard. is really good, by the way. Yeah, he, if no, he, he, he becomes awesome. Paul George, Atlanta becomes infinitely That's more. That's a win. That's a win. Yeah. Um, the, all the tools are there, but I, I mean, Paul George goes through bouts where he struggles with his confidence. So maybe Reddish is just mm-hmm. so talented it ends up working out for them. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So two more. We got. Uh, we'll do Miami next. So Miami added yeah. Mo Harkless and Avery Bradley, but they're more or less the same team. I. Uh, uh, I don't see more Mo Harkless or Avery Bradley as moving the needle. I think they're more or less going to be relying on the same. Uh, Mo Harkless is basically going to sl- slide into uh, Jay Crowder's role. Yep. Um, Avery Bradley, to me, is kind of redundant because they brought back Drogic and they're going to be leaning on Harrow a lot. And uh, I guess maybe Avery Bradley takes Kendrick Nunn's minutes. 
um, which is a queer, which is a queer upgrade in my opinion. I am not, sure. I'm not a Kendrick Dunn fan. He just he's one of those guys where it's like, oh, he looks great on a bad team because he can do some stuff on offense and he can score some points. But he's such a sieve on defense, and then he doesn't create well enough on offense to actually make you a good offensive team. It just looks good. It, it's a it's an aesthetic thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And you've talked about that a lot with certain players, how the aesthetics matter so much and how we evaluate certain guys on the offensive end. It, it really is crazy. Well, that's the, the if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving make it to the finals, it's going to be the aesthetics championship because it's going to be two <laughs> two somewhat ugly offensive players who, yeah. who do so much more to impact winning against two of the prettiest basketball players ever offensively. And if the Lakers win, it's going to be kind of a, a referendum. Yeah. Um, but, but I... I don't think Miami's championship run was a fluke. I don't. No. But Brooklyn and Philly are here now, and they weren't here last year, and I think they're clearly better. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. It's not that I disrespect Miami. It's just that if Giannis gets any better, and if Brooklyn and Philly are what we expect them to be, your best-case scenario suddenly becomes being the fourth-best team in the East, even if you're the same team that took the Lakers Yeah. Back. And the, the issue is they did go to the finals, right? So they only got 70-whatever days off. Mm-hmm. So any of their young guys who were looking to improve, Bam, Hero, uh, I mean, any, any of their young guys. No offseason. No offseason. No offseason at all. They're going to be tired. They're going to be tied down. They're their two best offensive creators, and they're old. So they're now old. And Dragic is coming off a pretty bad – yeah, Dragic is coming off a pretty bad foot injury. Like, he couldn't mm-hmm. even really play uh, towards the end of the bubble. So, yeah, I just – I love Miami. I'm always a believer in what they do, and I think they have a puncher's chance in any playoff series just from an overall toughness standpoint. Like mm-hmm. You're going to get everything that they have um, in every game, in every series. So they could beat anybody, but I think they're it, at best the clear-cut third team, and I could see the bottom falling out and they're sixth or seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know a couple injuries, a couple things don't go right. And you know, Jimmy injury, a BAM injury really, really sets them back. Those guys are both so important to them. Um, anytime that those two guys miss, they could almost miss the playoffs in a way. So, and, and the last thing I'll say about Miami before we move on to Boston is just is kind of similar to Giannis. Uh, but a lot of their ceiling just has to do with how much better Bam gets. If Bam yeah. kind of starts to expand, because what murdered the Heat in Game Six is Bam Bam couldn't shoot, and so Anthony Davis was literally just playing like two three zoning the paint, which absolutely shut Miami down. And if Bam literally becomes a dependable three-point shooter if 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 bam becomes a, a little bit if bam just kind of progresses in that next level of his star, rise to stardom that could be something that raises their ceiling as well but yeah. like you said no offseason yeah what, what do we think of overall about his offensive ceiling because i go back and forth on it he's obviously a really good like point center or whatever you want to call it he's an incredible creator for his size he's super fluid with the ball in his hands but i go back and forth on his scoring potential because some nights it looks like oh he's comfortable shooting jump shots and then other nights, it's like like the one you just pointed out. It's like he's terrified to even look at the rim outside of 15 feet. Mm-hmm. And guys like that, guys who are like really scared to even shoot jump shots, they tend to not develop as scorers too much. Like Anthony Davis was like willing to shoot jump shots as soon as he came into the NBA. And eventually he became a good jump shooter, like a really good one. Um, we saw that this year in the bubble. I don't know. If Bam can become even close to an AD-level jump shooter, he'll be one of the best players in the league. For but sure. I just, I just don't even know if that's a realistic outcome for him. As much as I wanted to, to hope that he follows a Kawhi esque, um, sure. you know, path where early in his career he leans on his defense, but the team privately with their player development is just refining and refining and refining. Because there are examples of players with immense physical gifts 
who weren't much offensively early on and then they developed. So that would be yeah. the that would be the hope. And if there's a team that can do it, it'd be Miami for the record. Definitely. Definitely. And he does have good touch. He's got good touch on floaters and stuff. So the potential for a, a solid jump shot at least is there. It's a definitely a big swing factor for them mm-hmm. for the coming couple of years. I agree. And and look, I mean, like I picked Milwaukee to beat Miami because I massively underrated Jimmy Butler. And it's clear that he's capable of going toe-to-toe with the best players in the league. Yep. So if you add Bam as a top 15 level player to that, all of a sudden they become much more interesting. Absolutely. Um, Boston lost Gordon Hayward, added Tristan Thompson. Those are the main key ones. Although Ke- uh, Kemba Walker is going to be out for at least a month with something going on with his knee. Uh, How bad is that Kemba contract looking? How bad is that Kemba Really bad. Especially when – yeah, really bad. Um, it would have made a hell of a lot more sense to overpay Gordon Hayward because at least he's a big wing and there's some versatility there that he brings. Or just keep Terry Rozier at a lesser price. Yeah. Like, like sure. Kemba's, Kemba's way better than Terry Rozier. Don't get me wrong. I don't want Celtics fans, angry Celtics fans in my mentions. But <laughs> small guards in the playoffs, man. Kemba is a true small guard. Like He's smaller than even Steph and Dame are. And those guys have such a tough time deep in playoff series. And now he's apparently he has knee issues. So the thing that he relies on is his quickness and his and his end-to-end speed, and now that might take a hit. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think he's still got three years or ninety million left. <sighs> Good luck, and I think Tatum popped earlier than they expected. So that they weren't expecting Tatum to be Tatum as early as he is. Um, but yeah, so overall thoughts on Boston. I, I think they're more or less the same team. Tristan Thompson will obviously help as an interior presence, which they didn't have last year. Um, and that's why Miami beat them. Because well, Tice Bam- got absolutely destroyed by Bam. Tristan's not going to get destroyed by Bam. Tristan's no. going to hold his own at least. Yeah. At the very least, he has the toughness and the grit to kind of stonewall <laughs> Bam enough in a series to where he doesn't just absolutely dominate. Um, I, they're a middle-tier playoff team, unless Tatum takes another huge step and becomes the sixth, fifth best player in the league. And then they can win any series because as a scorer, he's super, super dynamic. And where he really struggled last year was late in games, which is what a lot of young, really good scorers do. They can score for the first three quarters, you know, but late in the game, they just don't quite have the chops. And it really showed in, um, in both the Toronto and the Miami series, I thought. Even the Toronto series, he struggled down the stretch in a lot of those games. Uh, so it would, it would, their ceiling ultimately depends on Tatum and Brown taking another step as players. And once again, weird offseason, short offseason. I'm not banking on any young guys who are in the NBA um, this last year taking a big step, at least if they were in the playoffs, because there just wasn't enough time to work on their games. Uh, Boston played into the Eastern Conference Finals. They got more time off than Miami, but not a lot more, maybe 20 more days. So to me, they're a middle-tier playoff team. They'll be the fourth of the fifth seed. They'll be a tough out. Like they'll, They're going to give almost anyone in the Eastern Conference a really tough series, probably at least six games. But I don't see any kind of championship ceiling for them unless – multiple of their young guys really, really improve. So I 100% agree with you. And I think one of the biggest things to keep in mind is how important Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker were as primary decision makers. Because Jason Tatum has a similar flaw to what you see with Kawhi Leonard, which is he's an amazing two-way scorer, a guy who can guard on the other end and is an absolute positive impact on the defensive end. And if you put him on an island with any player, he's capable. He's not as good as Kawhi, but he's capable of getting really, really, you know, uh, shots that he can make. And he was, I think he was like a 26 per, a point per game guy last year in the playoffs. Like he is, he is on that path to, to being that elite two-way wing. Here's the problem. He is not necessarily capable of running a coherent NBA offense without the help of primary ball handlers. 
that role was filled by Hayward and Kemba last year. Kemba was their best passer. Hayward was their best passer last year. And Kemba's out for the first month of the season. Jeff Teague is a pro. He's an okay guard, but he's not going to be that. Uh, he's going to be the worst guard on the floor in most games that he plays in. And so the re- the reality is, is especially early on in that first month and a half or so without Kemba, they're going to basically be going to Kem- uh, to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and, and saying, run our offense. Now they'll be able to guard. They'll be able to guard like crazy, especially with Tristan Thompson. I think it, I think he unlocks a lot of what their defense could be in terms of you know, breaching their defensive ceiling. But the reality is, is they're going to be in this game, in these games and in this NBA season where there's like 20 good teams yeah. and they're going to, and they're literally going to be relying on guys in their early twenties that don't have a lot of reps running offense to run everything. Yeah. And so I think it's very possible that they get off to like a five and seven start or something crazy like that Maybe. because of the fact that they're going to be extremely limited in terms of their, basketball IQ because they don't have that grown they're grown up on the floor that can be like hey we're gonna do this and then Tatum Jason we're gonna give you the ball down on the block here you know you know four times in the next 10 possessions but we're gonna run coherent offense around that it's gonna be like Tatum bring the ball up the floor make a move and shoot then Jalen bring the ball up the floor make a move and shoot like it's gonna be just kind of a little bit a little bit uh uh like like what's the word I'm looking for it's just gonna be like it's going to be immature. It's going to be an immature NBA offense. Yeah, makes. and I think I think Tatum has a higher ceiling as a kind of a primary initiator, offensive creator than a Kawhi. I really do. He showed some like real improvements in that area last year, where he's like reading the weak side defense coming over and he's throwing the skip like as they're rotating stuff that like only the best creators do. But I don't think he's quite there yet. Hmm. But. I think the early season could be a way for him to really continue to grow that part of his game. Um, mm-hmm, for sure. He, he, he has the potential. I think he does have the potential to like maybe not run an offense. He'll probably always need another guy who is a primary creator, but he has more potential in Kawhi in that specific aspect, in my opinion. Would you trade uh, any, would you trade Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart for, uh, for uh, James Harden? <laughs> I think I, I think I trust Boston's culture enough to withstand that. So I think so. I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a funky one. I, they would get off of Kemba's money, which I think is huge. Uh, mm. But they really they love Jalen Brown, so I don't think they do. They that. love Marcus Smart. Yeah, yeah. They, I so I think Smart can actually run the point guard capably too. Mm. Um, he he's a really good passer and. He's not a guy that minds taking on extra responsibility as, as wild as he is. His only issue is shot selection. He'll just take the most wild shots. But if you tell him, Marcus, you're running the offense for the time being, we, we can't have you taking wild threes 18 seconds into the clock, then maybe he gets that part out of his game. I don't know. Yeah, they, they might struggle in the early in the year. I could see it. Uh, but I think – I don't know if you're giving Tatum enough cre- credit as for the strides he took as a creator last year because he took real, real strides in that area. So we'll see. Who are you picking to win the East? We can't agree on this, so I'm going to say Philly. I think it's <laughs> going to be Philly. Uh, I, I really like. I think they have a realistic shot at, at beating Brooklyn, no matter what happens. If they get Harden, I would actually pe- pick them to beat Brooklyn. But yeah, I, I, I think they could beat them without without getting Harden. I'm taking Brooklyn now, but if Philly gets Harden, I would take Philly. Okay, uh, that's what that's where I'm at right now. Uh, but whoever it is, you know, I, I got I got the Lakers beating them inevitably. I just I saw all I needed to see in one in one 15 minute stretch of preseason basketball. I'm sold. 
I'm just uh, hey, I'm dude, already hey, I'm already hey, pissed about it. I'm already pissed about the Lakers just being the proverbial favorite again. <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting year, man. Get ready too, because yeah, I think it's gonna get sloppy on Twitter too, because like Steph's in for a rough start. This Probably, season. even though I, I know they played the Nuggets and the Kings, who aren't exactly defensive stalwarts, but they looked honestly better than I thought, especially without Draymond. Draymond mm-hmm. is is kind of so key to everything they do, even offensively. Uh, mm-hmm. He just he connects plays so well. He gets guys that extra half second of space that guys like honestly Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre need. They need like an extra half foot of separation. Uh, but he's such a smart passer. He's such a good screener. He's going to help their offensive flow, and I hope he plays game one. We'll see if he does. But the issue is the schedule for Golden State. They're starting with Brooklyn and Milwaukee, and it's going to be tough out of the gates for them. Um, we'll see. We'll see, man. I, I'm still to you know end this with some Warriors stuff. I'm still high on their their ceiling as an ultimate team, but um, it might it might be ugly coming out of the gates here. We'll see. Yeah, I just I feel bad because if it does get ugly, that dude is going to be uh, going to get through the mud. It's going to. I, I might have to go into hiding. <laughs> but then again, it's like, I, I mean, I remember when LeBron missed the playoffs in 2019 and the lasting mem- the lasting memory was, uh, who's that dude? Mario Zonia. Mario Zonia blocking him on the game winner. Like, sometimes it just gets ugly and, like, yeah. and there's not really a whole lot you can do about it. Anybody who really knew what was going on knew that, like, that team was ravaged with injuries. But people aren't yep. interested in being honest. They're interested yeah. in slandering. This Context doesn't matter. Context never matters. But hey, dude, you gave me three hours of your time this week. I really appreciate it. Um, I would imagine sometime in the next week or two, we'll get together again and talk some more. uh, uh, So whatever's whatever interesting happens, hopefully even a James Harden trade at that point. Yeah, let's talk Harden if that happens. Definitely. (laughs) All right, buddy. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, man. Later.